start this series off, I want to ask you a question that I want you to think about. How do you really get to know someone? Think about it for a minute. Someone, someone might tell you about them, right? Someone could tell you the things that they have seen or heard or, or heard about them. Uh, they could tell you that. Well, maybe they could describe someone to you. They might tell you what they look like and where they live, if they're married or have kids, where they work maybe. And all of that is good if you really just want to know about someone. But what if you really want to know someone? If you want to know who they really are and what they believe, what they are really like, for that, you'd probably have to spend some time with them. You'd probably have to watch what they do, watch how they behave, how they react in certain situations. All of those behaviors would probably tell you what they value or what is important to them, right? So as we get started this week, we found a video clip that we think kind of speaks to that, knowing somebody by watching them. So I'd like to turn your attention to the screens and watch this clip. I didn't stay home for long because I'd made a promise to Bubba, and I always try to keep my promise. So I went on down to Biola Battery to meet Bubba's family and make the introduction. Are you crazy? Or just plain stupid? Stupid is stupid does, Mrs. Blue. I guess. And of course, I paid my respect to Bubba himself. Hey, Bubba, it's me, Forrest Gump. I remember everything you said, and I got it all figured out. I'm taking the $24,562.47 that I got, or that, that's left, after well, a new haircut and a new suit, and I took Mom out to a real fancy dinner, and I bought a bus ticket and three Dr. Peppers. Tell me something. Are you stupid or something? Stupid is as stupid does, sir. Stupid is as stupid. That's right. Who's heard that quote before? So Old Wise Forest here is telling us that if you see someone behaving a certain kind of way, that it can tell you a lot about who they are. So to illustrate that, I've come up with a couple of stories. They're true stories, and um, they involve me and some questionable, questionable behavior. And particularly, I'm going to throw my brothers under the bus because they're frankly not here. They don't even live in this state. And so I feel safe that I can do that. So if you don't know me very well, I have four brothers, two older and two younger. I'll appreciate your pity and your sympathy momentarily. Um, yeah, it was very difficult. That was very challenging. I remember a very distinct time. Now, okay, let me back up. There was a lot of times that the two older brothers tried to use the two younger brothers, particularly the one that was just younger than me. They kind of kept their hands off the baby a little while, for a little while. But that, that other brother that's just younger than me, they tried to set him up for less than success many times for some questionable things that they wanted to do and they figured they could do it through him and get less blame, maybe. They were totally wrong, by the way. It, it always backfired. Here's a story of that. So my two older brothers convinced this younger brother, Mark is his name, 
that it would be a lot of fun to just light random things on fire. <laughs> In the very dry field next to our house. And surely, as much fun as that was, what would make it more fun? Gasoline! Yes! Brilliant explosions and lots of trouble. Stupid is as stupid does. Let me just tell you. You can watch their behavior and see that they weren't very smart when they were youngsters, for sure. They're better now. Um, I, can, I remembered another time when I was thinking through this. My family and I, my, kid, my siblings and I grew up in Key Largo. And I remember a time that we were all playing at this abandoned bridge. It was actually called the Bridge to Nowhere, um, and we were told that we could go nowhere near it. Now, it was called the Bridge to Nowhere because a developer had built the bridge in anticipation of some developing he was going to do, some houses that he was going to build, but he had not done that yet, so it literally was a bridge to nowhere. What that sounded like to us was playground number one. That just sounded like mysterious and fun and, you know, nothing but fun could be had there, right? So, again, told many a time not to go there. Now, when we were kids, we were sent out to play all the live long day. That's what we did. I mentioned that I was raised in Key Largo. That meant that a lot of what we did, most of what we did, was in or around water. So this particular time, <clears throat> we had decided... We were going to go exploring. We found the bridge so much fun that we decided we would just park there all day, jumped off the bridge, swam under the bridge, just had a great time. We did not get caught. The, 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 the way the story ends is that night on the local news, we heard that a fisherman had caught a huge hammerhead shark underneath that very bridge. Stupid is, there you go as stupid does. So how, I don't know how we even survived our childhood when I tell you, because there are multiple stories like that. I, more importantly, I don't know how my parents survived my childhood, our childhood, particularly the way that my brothers had to have stressed them out. I just don't understand it. So watching my actions as a kid, and particularly the actions of my brothers, because I want to hit them hard, they deserve it, uh, would probably have shown you a lot about who we were as kids. Now, hopefully, I've grown and matured beyond some of those behaviors. Um, hopefully you can see me as a little bit wiser now. Now, to be fair, it isn't only our stupid actions that tell us, uh, tell about who we are, right? It's really everything that we do, everything that people see us do. When I met my husband, Carl, many of you know him, I learned a lot about who he is as a person by watching what he did. Now, when I met Carl, he was a single dad of two kids who had his kids full-time. And our early dating life looked, looked, a, looked a lot like us sitting around his dining room table eating dinner and then parking on the couch watching a Disney movie together. That's what, that's what dates were to us because kids. We had kids already. So I watched him over time provide for literally every single need of those two kids. He cooked supper for them. He helped them do their homework, tucked them into bed, washed their clothes, laid them out the next day for school, packed their lunches. Now, all of those things are normal things that parents do. But I don't think I ever heard him complain 
that, or how, about how tired he was that, that he was doing that all by himself. And when I came onto the scene, he'd been doing that by himself for a while. But here's the thing. All of those things taught me a lot about my future husband. It taught me a lot about who Carl is. When we got married and decided to have kids, the two of us, together, I already knew what an amazing daddy he was going to be because I had seen his behavior. I had watched him with the older two kids. That's a benefit not everybody gets. But I had already seen him be an amazing dad. I watched what he did, and it told me about who he was. Now, that was at a time in our lives before we were even part of a church community. We were not followers of Christ, actually, by, at that point in our lives when we first met. But on the weekends, Carl, with no spare time, really, would still find the time to help our oldest son Stephen's football or baseball team. He'd help coach them or work in the concession stand, or he'd help a buddy from his work move, or he'd help me with any number of projects that were none of his responsibility. But he always found the time to do those things because who Carl is is someone who loves to serve. You can learn who he is today by watching what he does. Any of you who have gone with him on a mission trip have probably experienced that. You watch what he does and you know who he is. So the reality, this reality of knowing someone by their behavior and their action actually forms the basis for this series that we're starting today. We're going to go through the book of Exodus. And we've taught on that, on that book of the Bible before. But we're going to take a different perspective this time. We're going to look at it through the lens of to know who someone really is, we only need to watch what they do. And one of the best ways to explore God is to look at the things he does. Now, just like I learned about Carl by watching the things he did, and like you probably have done in significant relationships in your life, looking at what a person does really reveals who they are. Looking at what someone does when they're in crisis or when the chips are down or when someone is in need. That is what the book of Exodus really tells us about. In particular, it tells us what God did at a critical, very important time in the history of the Jewish people. All of the parts of the Bible are intended to communicate to all of humanity the realities of redemption. I want to say that again. All of the parts of the Bible are intended to communicate to humanity, to us, the realities of redemption. It, the, the Bible is not intended to be an exhaustive ancient world history. Now, I've heard many people say, I've, said, I've been guilty of saying it myself, that I don't understand the Old Testament. There are parts of it that don't make sense to me. I have a hard, I've heard people say I have a hard time connecting with it. I'd really rather just park myself in the New Testament. Jesus is a guy I can get on board with. I totally get that. But the God of the Old Testament can be a little scary to me. I've heard people say, 
or let me say, the God of Israel that we read about and that we're going to read about in the coming weeks in Exodus can seem very foreign to us as believers. We can have a tendency to believe that the God of the Old Testament is somehow different from the God of the New Testament. But Exodus paints this picture for us of who God was and has always been. And this, those things all together, are what allows us to trust him today. We can trust him because of the faithfulness that we have seen and we read about through the Old Testament. Exodus, in particular, tells the epic story of God's mission to rescue us, to ransom us, his creation. All of this, it's all one story. And if you are a believer, it's all your story. It's all our story. Hear this. For the church to know who she is, she has to know who she was. So today, we're going to try and start to discover who this God is by taking a look at the things that he does and why that matters to us still today. So if you open up your Bibles to, to Exodus, you'll see that it's very close to the beginning of the Bible. It's actually the second book. The first few chapters introduce us to Moses and the Israelites who are in bondage in Egypt. Now, this is taking place about 400 years after Joseph and his families were living in Goshen at the end of, at the end of Genesis, the book that's just prior to Exodus. Let me stop here quickly. I want to make sure that there's, there's a, an important piece of information that you're going to need to remember throughout this story. When we hear the text refer to Hebrews and Israelites, those are the same people. Hebrews refers to the language that they speak, and Israelites refers to the land that they were from. So when you hear that, you should understand that that's the same people group. Now, if we go back a little bit in Genesis, like I mentioned, we can remember that God called a man named Abraham. God said to Abraham, he told him, you are the way that I'm going to restore and rescue the entire world. I will do this through your family, Abraham. So Abraham's family grows and ends up in Egypt. Now fast forward a few generations and we find Joseph, who is a descendant of Abraham. Joseph lived in Egypt with his family, and he actually led Egypt into a food storage program that actually saved Egypt. Now, the Pharaoh at that time, who was the ruler at that time, was very grateful to, jo to Joseph, and he welcomed Joseph's family and actually gave them land to have of their own. But when that Pharaoh died, what Joseph had done to save Egypt was essentially forgotten about. A new pharaoh came into power and he was afraid of the Israelites because, frankly, they were growing in number even after the death of Joseph and they were outgrowing the number of Egyptians in the land. So pharaoh, because of his fear, made the Israelites slaves of the Egyptians to keep them from overthrowing the government. Now, what I want you to hear from all of this is there is a lot at stake here in the book of Exodus. In the very first few verses in chapter 1, it tells the story of when these people, God's people, were enslaved in Egypt, 
and how God acts in an incredibly powerful way to free them from their bondage, to free them from slavery in order to prepare them for the mission that he has for them in this world. In a way, Exodus is the central story, certainly of the Old Testament, of the Hebrew scriptures. Because if there's no Exodus, there's no Jesus, because there's no more Jewish people. That's significant. Now remember, we're going to try and learn through this series who, about who God is by looking at what he does, right? And in the time of this incredible oppression, it could appear that God is silent, that he isn't doing anything. But in reality, God does act. We look at verses 8 through 14 and read a little bit about that to see that the first action we want to look at looks like a non-action because it seems to be happening behind the scenes. Now, this is an odd time for God's people, right? It's got to feel like a, a true crisis of their faith. They know of this promise that their God gave to Abraham. They know that this promise was for them, but things must have still looked pretty dark and bleak to them. They were in bondage. We see words in this text like brutal slave drivers were placed over them, crushing labor. They were oppressed by the Egyptians. They made their lives bitter, and they were ruthless in their demands. Sounds like a dream job, doesn't it? Sounds like a dream life. What kind of questions do you think the Israelites who are experiencing this might be asking during this period of time? My thoughts are, they might say, did God abandon us? Are we being punished? Did we do something wrong? Has he forgotten about this promise that he made that was for us? Or has he just plain forgotten about us? Completely? Worse, maybe they're thinking, is God even good? It's hard to look at that circumstance and question maybe that those were their questions. So I want to ask you, can you personally identify with any of these questions, these doubts? Have you ever thought to yourself, because of your circumstances especially, did God abandon me? Has he forgotten about me? Is God punishing me? Have I done something wrong? Is God even good to me ever? The truth is, it's easy to believe that when things get difficult, that God is silent that he's sleeping or that he doesn't even exist. Be easy to think that. But as people of faith, we trust and we know that that's not the whole story. That's not the whole picture. So <clears throat> let's go back to our text and see what God does next. So we see that Pharaoh and the Egyptians decide to kill all the male Hebrew babies. Because like we said, 
Pharaoh is very concerned about the growing numbers of Egyptian of excuse me Israelites and they're outnumbering the Egyptians and this is a threat to Pharaoh's power. He's concerned about being overthrown. At that time, this Hebrew baby is born and his life is spared through heroic acts of his parents and even his sister in fact. In fact, his life is more than spared. Just at the time when Pharaoh's cruelty is rising to its height by ordering that the Hebrew babies, hear what I'm saying, babies are be, be drowned, the very one that God has chosen to deliver them was being born as a Hebrew baby. Through a series of events, this Hebrew child, who we now know as Moses, is found and adopted by none other than Pharaoh's own daughter and raised in Pharaoh's palace. Only God, only God could do something like that. The Pharaoh's daughter raised the child who would deliver the Israelites from their oppression in Egypt. God even goes the extra mile, the text tells us, to provide a good nurse who happens to be Moses' very own biological mother, to care for him in the first years of his life. All of these events have happened, but still there's not a clear statement to the Israelites that God is moving. Moses grows up in the palace as a member of Pharaoh's family. And that means that he's afforded some luxuries because he is being raised as as a part of Pharaoh's family. But Moses knows that he is a Hebrew man. And one day, Moses sees a fight between an Egyptian and an Israelite, and Moses kills the Egyptian. He knows what's at stake, but he also knows who he is, and he sees the oppression of his people at the hands of Pharaoh, and he responds. Now, after he kills the Egyptian... Moses becomes very afraid. He understands that there are going to be consequences and they will be harsh. He won't necessarily be saved because of where he was raised. He will be treated likely because of who he is, as who he is. So Moses takes off, runs away. He runs to a land of Midian, the land called Midian. He's basically in the backwoods. What I want you to hear from this is that Moses is in hiding. He is afraid. Moses has surrendered his identity, the things that he has grown up knowing as, as that would belong to him. But he also understands that his people, God's people, are still enslaved. Is the story over yet? Now, we're going to be talking about Moses and his story in the coming weeks, but here's the thing. This week, we have titled this message, The God Who is Silent. Plot twist. It's not about a God who is silent. I don't think it's true. It appears in our text that God, it appears that God is silent in this text while all of this is happening, but he isn't. The true first action we observe in Exodus is just that, that God is a God who acts. As we move ahead and look at chapter 3, it says this, Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have seen the oppression of my people. 
I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. I have heard their cries. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. I have come down to rescue them. God is a God who acts, who acts particularly in the face of suffering. That's what we can see when we read this. And we can believe from this text that God is not afraid to enter into our suffering, just like he wasn't afraid to enter into the suffering of the Israelites. It matters because we have to recognize that we don't always see the whole picture especially of what's happening in our lives. Just like the Israelites couldn't see the whole picture of what God was doing behind the scenes when Moses was being born and his life was being spared and he was placed in, of all places, Pharaoh's palace in the exact position that he needed to be in. It wasn't clear to the Israelites that God was moving then because they couldn't see the whole picture. So, Maybe in your life, it might look like God is silent or absent or sleeping. Maybe it even might seem to you that God is punishing you in some way. But maybe, maybe there is a bigger story that's being written that you just don't know about. Maybe you just can't see the fullness of the story. And let me tell you what I have learned is that's usually for our good when we can't see the whole story, because I got to tell you, there are stories that have unfolded in my life that if I had known the full story, I probably wouldn't walk that way. And you know what? That's the way God wanted me to go. But my fear would have kept me from doing some pretty incredible things if I had known the full picture. Now, I want to be clear here. If you're dealing, if you're struggling with a real pain, a real suffering that you are experiencing right now, I am not trying to gloss over that in any way. I don't want you to hear that from me. I am not trying to oversimplify it or or give you just a comfy Christian bumper sticker answer to whatever it is that you're dealing with. But what I do want you to do is to think about the pain that you might be in and consider that maybe that story isn't over. Maybe it isn't completely clear to you yet. John 16 says, none of us are immune to pain this side of heaven. Christ assured us that we would know sorrow in this world. We know that. We know that however we might be suffering, though, we can trust that God completely and fully understands what we're going through. We do not have to hide our pain from each other or from God. What are some things that you might be suffering with? Maybe you're experiencing some, true, experiencing some health issues or brokenness in your physical body. Don't you think God knows what that's like? Maybe you're experiencing brokenness in a relationship, a relationship that matters greatly to you. Don't you think God knows what that's like? Maybe you're grieving a very real loss. 
loss of a loved one, a job, a house. Don't we think God knows what loss feels like? So the question I want you to wrestle with today is, are you ready to explore the big picture? Because that's what we're going to do as we move through the next few weeks of this series. Are you willing to trust that even the suffering that you might be experiencing is actually part of a much bigger story? Is it possible that maybe you just can't see or recognize that God is actually moving that he is actually working on your behalf and sending the rescue. It doesn't mean that he's asleep or has forgotten about you. Are you willing to consider that? Among all of the pain the Israelites were experiencing, God was still hearing their cries. He heard them. God was still remembering the promise that he made to them through Abraham. He was remembering them. He had not forgotten them. He was not deaf to their cries of help. Exodus 2 says this, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant. God heard, God remembered. And then God acted. Even as Pharaoh was growing older and and later died, God was still on the throne, hearing, preparing, remembering, and most importantly, moving on behalf of his people. Now, I realize that it is common for us these days in our busy lives to maybe not remember when someone is sharing their suffering with us, Maybe we forget. Maybe it's easy for us to forget. Maybe we just zone out when they're, when they're talking because, because maybe we've heard their suffering before. And we move on past it into other things that might seem important to us. And all, both of those things generally would lead to a lack of response on our part. And because we know this about ourselves, because we recognize that that's the behavior that we have, we have a tendency to put that behavior of lack of response onto God becomes the thing that we just expect. We have a tendency to imagine that God doesn't hear us, isn't listening, doesn't remember our prayers. But we need to recognize that that is a distinct human problem that has existed since sin entered the world in the Garden of Eden. That's a human response. That is not God's response. I want to be clear about something too, because this was a hard journey for me as a new believer. Not recognizing the way God is responding to you does not mean he's not responding to you. Just because it doesn't look the way you think it should or the way that you have prescribed for yourself does not mean that God is not responding. Our job Our objective as Christians is to understand the story of redemption. The Bible, all of it is that story. So as we walk through this series, we're going to try to understand better this full story. Our full story. 
There was oppression then. Guess what? There is oppression now. There was a feeling of God's absence, and we certainly can feel that way now at times. God heard the cries of his people. Guess what? He still does. Understand that God responded to those cries by acting, and he still does that today. If you want to know who God is, look at what he has done. Look at what he is doing. We can know God by watching his actions, not only what he did for the Israelites all those years ago, but what he does now. I want you to consider this lens that you might be viewing God through before you came in here today and kind of surrendering that. Not kind of, actually surrendering that. And and praying over the coming weeks how asking God to just truly open up your eyes to see him in a new way, to dig into the scripture and see what he has done which is how we have learned to trust him now and why we can learn to trust him in our lives now. We're going to move into a a time of prayer, and I I want to pause for just a moment and mention it's kind of an extension of that. As you're thinking about what you need to surrender about your views of God, I want to highlight that a couple weeks ago we created this space over here that is the prayer space, has a prayer wall. There are cards there for you to write your prayers. That We decided a couple weeks ago that that was bigger than one Sunday. And so we've decided to leave that space up for a season. And maybe it's for this season. Maybe it's specifically for this journey. Maybe there are things that you're going to be wrestling with and you're going to need some additional prayer. So that space is always going to be open to you when you are in this space. If you want prayer, we will make people available. Want someone to pray for you and with you, we will make people available for you for that. But be honest with yourself about what this journey should look like for you. Be honest with yourself if there's, a, if there's something off about the way you see the Old Testament God. If there's some way that you have been blocked in the past from connecting with that God. And if in some way you've made that God different than the God of the New Testament, ask yourself those questions. Wrestle with that. Let's go on this journey together. Would you guys bow your heads and pray with me?